This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's big question, is the banking industry rotten? We're asking this question today to two people. Elizabeth Redman is a journalist with News Corp Australia and works as a property reporter for The Australian. She has written for specialist business and investing publications, Business Spectator and Eureka Report, and was seconded to cover the Banking Royal Commission. And she joins me now. Please welcome Elizabeth Redman. My second guest is Mark Snedden. Mark is a partner in a law firm with over 25 years experience in banking and financial services, fintech and e-business, business regulation and government services. And he joins me now. Please welcome Mark Snedden. Well, Elizabeth and Mark, welcome to Bigger Questions. Thank you for having us, Rob. Yeah. Now, today we have a News Corp journalist and a lawyer talking about if the banking industry is rotten. But aren't News Corp and lawyers just, if not more rotten? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Sorry, I, I should be careful with my words, otherwise I might end up being sued here, perhaps. For defamation, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, there's lots of lawyer jokes there, aren't there, though, Mark? Yeah. There, there are plenty, but let's not go there. Okay, right, yeah. <laughs> Elizabeth, I mean, News Corp, they had some problems in the past. It's... Well, I mean, we're an organisation that believes in having robust conversations, and I think when, uh, when you refer to problems in the past, I think that something that people often think of is something like the phone hacking in the UK newspapers, right, which no one at News Corp is defending, and Rupert Murdoch called the most humble day of his life. Mm-hmm. I hope that uh, if you have those concerns that you might also see our investment in journalism and our, our commitment to investigations, um, and let me always talk up at every opportunity the tireless work of my colleagues on, on the business desk as well as across the paper. Right, okay. Well, thank you. We'll try to have a, a great conversation here today and robust conversation, I think, is indeed what we're trying to stimulate here on Bigger Questions. Now, to kick off Bigger Questions, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. Today, we're asking Elizabeth Redman and Mark Snedden about the Financial Services Royal Commission. So I thought I'd test you both on how much you know about Royal Commissions. There's two questions, both multiple choice. Okay, question one. How many Royal Commissions or Commissions of Inquiry have been held at the federal level in Australia? Is it A, five, they're very rare, B, 82, C, 135, or D, 581, an average of five commissions a year since Federation? I'm going B, 82. 82? What would you go? Go C, maybe. I don't think we have five a year. No, no, it's not. Well, the answer is definitely not D. It's not D. So you're correct. And the answer, actual answer is indeed C. It's 135. But interestingly, though, there were 82 commissions held before the Second World War, and since then they've become much That's rarer. what I meant to say. Yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> what, I was, that's, what, I was, that's what I was going for. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, question two. Which of the following types of businesses are not included in the terms of reference in the present Royal Commission into Financial Services? Is it A, banks? Is it B, general insurers? Is it C, superannuation providers? Or is it D, casinos? I'm going casinos. It's casinos. The correct answer is indeed D, although some might perhaps think that behaviour within the financial services industry is tantamount to gambling at times, perhaps. But anyway, so Elizabeth and Mark, both of you passed a smaller questions quiz. You got one or two of our smaller questions, right? Big Ready. round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth and Mark. 
So presently we do have our Royal Commission into Financial Services and the terms of reference are broader than just banks. But Mark, what exactly is a Royal Commission? Uh, it's different from a normal court case, isn't it? There's no sort of judge or jury. Yeah, correct. So a Royal Commission is a public inquiry or investigation. It's mm -hmm. set up by the government to be chaired by some body or person external to government, often a judge or a retired judge. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not like the ombudsman or a regulator conducting an inquiry. And its purpose is to investigate particular activity, uh, not to adjudicate a dispute. So a regular court case is someone is alleging that someone else has broken the law or breached a contract and a judge or jury adjudicates that dispute between two parties. This is not a case where one party is suing another. This is a case where, in our, our case, a retired High Court judge, Justice Hain, is conducting an investigation into certain matters. So it's an investigatory body, inquisitorial. It has particularly uh, strong powers, so mm -hmm. it can require people to attend, produce documents, answer questions. Uh, they can wiretap people. They can do all sorts of things right. to get information out. Right, yeah. So why a Royal Commission into Financial Services? Why, how, why did it come about? I think something that's interesting is that in in the kind of Canberra federal political bubble, for a long time it was seen as, uh, you know, a Labor and the Greens concern. So Labor said, if we win the next election, we'll have a Royal Commission. Um, and the government said, well, we don't need to spend all the money. We'll get on with fixing things. We'll introduce some new uh, regulation about directors' bonuses. We're not going to waste taxpayer money. We're just getting on with the job. But their junior partner the Nationals could see how upset their constituents were, particularly farmers who'd been forced off their land and all the other kinds of stories that we've heard. Yep. Um, and it got to the point where there was so much uncertainty about whether we would have the commission that the big four banks said, look, let's just have it. Let's just get it out of the way. Right, yeah. Yep. From, from your perspective? Yeah, a slightly longer perspective than what I agree with what Elizabeth said, but I mean, for years we've had issues about the financial services industry in general, so there's been been issues about conflicted remuneration and financial advice, people not acting in their best interests of the client. The same thing in the mortgage broking industry. We've had issues about forex rate fixing. In the last three years, there's been a whole spate of inquiries about uh, loans to small business and agribusiness companies going bad and pull people, banks pulling out the, the rug from under under farmers and others and leaving them in the lurch. So there's been a, a long history and many, many inquiries into these sorts of things by regulators, by parliamentary inquiries and others. So this is not... I mean, a lot so of these issues are known. So, the no, so there's been inklings that there's been problems in the financial well, services. More, more, than, more than inklings. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then what it came down to is exactly what Elizabeth said, which is we've solved some of those problems, but we haven't solved all of them. And the question is, do you solve it with a big bang royal commission by, by trying to drive higher political attention to this or do you keep doing what the government was doing which is put in particular fixes for particular problems? Right, yeah. So what's then the point of the commission? So it's inquisitorial as you mentioned before, trying to understand, but what, what, what are they trying to, to find out, what to get to the bottom of? Well, well, the terms of reference are to investigate whether there's been either misconduct or conduct which is below community expectations in the delivery of financial services to customers and then a range of other issues like are there adequate redress or complaint mechanisms for people who feel they've been aggrieved by financial services providers and are there any regulatory gaps or regulatory things that need to be fixed. Right, yeah. And so do we actually need a, something as big as a Royal Commission to uncover this? I didn't think we did. I thought... 
it's fine if we have one. We could have one. It would be fine. It would be good for financial journalism for a year. But you know, <laughs> yeah. we had um, a royal commission into Indigenous deaths in custody. We still have Indigenous deaths in custody. What we need is to fix things. And then the royal commission started and we found out a whole lot that we didn't know before. And I went, oh, okay, think we, think we needed a royal commission. Right. To so, so, so it's been worthwhile out. in that sense. Yeah. Do you think it's been worthwhile so far, so Mark? Um, I've got three answers to that. No, yes, and we have to wait and see. They'll make sense when I explain them. No, because people who've been in the financial services industry for a long time know about just about every problem mm -hmm. that is being revealed by the Royal Commission. And if you were, as most people aren't, avid readers of every report and inquiry that's ever been out there, this Royal Commission is not showing any problems really that we didn't know about. Right, in, yeah. Or that the regulators weren't aware of. Yeah. Um, you know, ASIC was aware of what was going on in AMP. They were investigating it. Um, Yes, it's, it's needed because um, although we had those inquiries, although we had fixes and some things had been fixed, other things were being stalled uh, and not, you know, there wasn't the political will to push them through. Mm. So the yes bit is this is putting it up on steroids in national spotlight with media uh, at, you know, high decibels and neon lights mm. and it's going to ramp up the political pressure to fix issues. Yep. The don't know bit is what recommendations will come out and will they be good recommendations and will they be acted on? Mm. Now, Elizabeth, speaking of media, you were seconded by the Australian newspaper to cover elements of the, the commission. What was that like? Tell us your experience. So I went to um, the, the fortnight on small business lending. So um, that was kind of seen as the, the low-key round. We'd already had one about uh, banks making loans to people who couldn't pay them and we'd been hearing about you know bribes to make loans and then we had another fortnight of hearings um, looking at our financial advice and AMP and the commission heard that AMP had charged um, thousands of consumers fees for no service and lied about it to the corporate regulator 20 times uh, and then the chairwoman resigned and the CEO left early and the general counsel left and they lost two directors and, and I went to the, the easy round. <laughs> so you weren't quite getting these kind of headlines, I suppose. So, so I, I went to hear about uh, loans to small businesses um, and, and even though it was very much seen as kind of the, the less important round... I, I was still shocked to sit in the room every day and hear people tell their stories, you know, in tears to the commission about the, the impact that um, this treatment by uh, different financial institutions had had on their lives. Right, yeah. So how did that make you feel then? Um, angry. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think by the end of the first week, I think I was feeling pretty hopeless about the whole the thing. The whole situation. It yeah. seemed too big, too systemic. Yes, and I think also um, some of the issues that we heard were historic, but we also heard bankers responding to questions now. And so, so it wasn't just kind of hearing about something that happened five years ago by a rogue banker who now has been sacked. We also heard very senior executives um, defending behaviour that I thought seemed to have fallen below community standards. Mm, mm. Now, you even got a front page article uh, as a result of reporting on the commission. Can you tell us about what happened there? That was a story about a borrower from, from Westpac. Her name was Carolyn Flanagan. She's a blind disability pensioner who went guarantor on her daughter's small business loan. Carolyn Flanagan's not very well. 
She has had glaucoma, cancer, depression, osteoporosis, pancreatitis, uh, diverticulitis, chronic obstructive airway disease and a fractured pelvis. Right. <laughs> and she went to a Westpac and they said, sure, we'll lend your daughter the money. You can guarantee the loan. Um, if it goes wrong, you'll lose your house. And do you know what she said? She said to the commission, she said, well, I would have done anything for my daughter and if you can't help your kids, who can you help? Hmm. So um, obviously the business failed and she lost her house and thankfully someone from Legal Aid New South Wales stepped in and made an arrangement with the bank that meant that she could stay in her house until she dies and then the, the bank has the, the right to, to repossess it. But uh, th that was a case that was hard to hear. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And these are not uncommon kind of cases, Mark, from the Commission, like in terms of these hard decisions that banks have made? There are um, always hard decisions in relation to guarantors um, and the, the problem is that people give guarantees out of love and affection uh, and with perhaps an overly optimistic trust in the business ability of the son, daughter or other relative mm. who usually have an over-optimistic uh, confidence in their own ability to run a business whereas an awful lot of small businesses fail in Australia. So this is not an uncommon issue mm. and I think the best that we've been able to do from a regulatory point of view is require independent advice mm. uh, to be given to guarantors. Um, another thing we could be doing is putting some sort of a cap on the amount of guarantees so that a lot of guarantees are written so that, that you know, you just, if interest piles up and, and then enforcement expenses and other things, the, the, the amount that you've guaranteed balloons, mm. uh, if we could put a cap and say you're up for 50000 or whatever it is, 100000 no more, at least you know the maximum exposure. Yeah. Uh, but it's a, it's, a, it's a very difficult problem because, as the banks rightly say, well, we won't lend without security. Yeah. The, the child doesn't have security. The parents have security. Mm. Um, should they put it up? Well, yes, but there's a risk yes. in doing it. <laughs> now, you said that you felt angry. <laughs> hearing some of these stories. I mean, is that one of the reasons for the heightened public interest in this topic, that people feel angry at the banks? Yeah, and I think people have a kind of a strong sense of justice, right? So I think people uh, feel like, you know, this is unjust, you know, they're a big bank, they make a lot of money, um, I shouldn't have to deal with the bureaucracy or, you know, I pay, I pay all this money and they just lift my mortgage costs. Or, mm. right? I think that is one reason. I think another reason why there's been so much interest is because you can't really opt out of the financial system. Like, you can't really go, I'm not going to have a bank account. Mm, and mm. you probably might need to borrow money at some point or, or have a key card or some insurance. So it touches everyone. Yeah. How do you react, Mark, to the, those horror stories of the person who loses their house, etc.? Well, well, I think when you borrow, um, <laughs> you are at risk because you have to repay and if you don't repay, there'll be consequences. Lenders have very broad discretion and a lot of power vis-a-vis -vis the borrower in our legal system and the question is whether that could or should be equalised a bit more. So one of the issues... So I acted as a technical consultant on the inquiry by Kate Carnell, the small business ombudsman, into lending to small business. And one of the issues that turned up there was the way banks went about using their contractual discretions and powers. So, for example, I've lent money to a farmer on rural land and I've got a loan-to-value ratio covenant in there. So it's a breach of your loan if... The, the value of your security drops below a certain, yep, percentage. A certain percentage. Yep, percentage, yep. Okay. Um, the value of your security is not something that you control. So let's say that the price of land, which is used for cattle farming, goes down. Mm. 
you'll breach your loan-to-value security ratio, mm. OK? Mm. That then triggers under the contracts the discretion of the banks to say, right, we're whacking default interest on you. Mm. And now they get into real payment default because they can't make the extra payment. And then it progresses it on and they're sold up and they're out of the property and all the rest yeah. of it. So it's that, it's that question of the discretion mm. that the banks use. And, and there's a lot of discretion in the system. You can, if you've got a supportive banker, you might be able to ride through tough times. Uh, and with a non-supportive banker, you may not. So what's then caused all these problems? Is it a failure of procedure, regulation, or is it something deeper? The lender, the person who's, who's selling the loan, the, the salesperson who's selling the loan, has an interest in selling the loan uh, to get a bonus, potentially, which is at conflict with what are the interests of the borrower. Mm. Now, if, I just think, if you just think that thing through, and the same with selling financial advice, I want to sell you into this particular managed fund. If I'm selling you a financial product, I'm the, I'm the salesman, um, I'm, I'm purporting to give you independent advice, maybe, <laughs> but I'm actually selling you I'm a selling bunch of product. products off an approved product list, which happened to be owned by my vertically integrated manufacturer bank mm. or other corporation. So there's a whole lot of conflicts of interest built in there. Mm. So one of the issues, Robin, and there are many, is, is this issue, I think, of greed. Mm. So along comes borrower X or, or person, uh, investor X, and they say, I want to invest or I want to borrow, and I really like that house because my neighbour has that sort of house. And the, the broker, whose interests are, if I upsell you, I'm going to get a much bigger kickback. Or not, not, I don't mean a kickback in the wrong way, I just mean a, a bonus, <laughs> bonus in terms yeah. of sales. Um, <laughs> says, yes, you can afford that. Absolutely. Don't worry. Yeah. I'll fill it out and I'll make it look good. Yeah. Send it into the lending manager at the bank. The lending manager at the bank has their own sales targets. Says, oh, this oh, looks all right. This is I'll a good one. That this, is, this is a nice we'll big one. that through. And the person up higher says, this is looking good. Our, we've got a, we're building market share. The CEO says, great market share is going up in whatever area of banking is. Report that in the quarterly reports. Share price will get a tick. Yeah. So everyone along the way has some incentive here. No one has an incentive to say, what if this goes bad in three years? Mm. What happens or, then? Or be content with what I have already rather than try to up, go beyond my means, so to speak. Correct. Yeah. So, Elizabeth, do you think greed is, is a key factor in what you've observed? My favourite bonus story, uh, my favourite worst bonus story, <laughs> um, is that the, the most recent round was um, looking at uh, Indigenous Australians um, and their experience of financial services providers. And there was um, a company selling funeral insurance and um, so if they could, the staff there could sell more funeral insurance policies, the staff could win Vespers and a holiday to Las Vegas. Wow. Imagine. Yeah, selling funeral insurance funeral so you insurance. can go to. There's lots of casinos in lots of casinos Las Vegas, I suppose. In Las Vegas, yeah. yes. I yeah. think greed is a factor. Yes, I agree with Mark. Mm. Today's big question is, is the banking industry rotten? And perhaps surprisingly, the Bible offers a potential explanation for why the commission is necessary. In a New Testament letter written by the Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy, Paul writes, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So Elizabeth and Mark, what do you, what do you make of this? Do you think that the, this diagnoses some of the underlying problems with the financial services industry? Something that I think is quite interesting about this verse is that some, some people do get rich, right? And they seem like they stay rich for a very long time. But I think this verse 
warns us that the opposite is true as well, that someone who loves money rather than um, perhaps loving others or, or loving money rather than um, loving other people yep. um, has has this risk, has this risk of behaving in ways that they might not think that they wanted to, they might not think they were capable of, but this kind of greed can take hold, right, yep. or, or, or of various kinds of, of destruction yep. um, that I think the Bible is warning against. Which it says it plunges people into ruin and destruction. Mm. Uh, this mm. is, uh, they fall into temptation and a trap, foolish and harmful desires and so on. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Mark? Uh, well, obviously greed can do all those things to you and, and in the context we're looking at, getting into too much debt is a classic way of doing that and <laughs> obviously there's millions of cases where people have gotten into too much debt, can't service it and they end up in all sorts of trouble. But I think at another level there's that this sort of conflict of interest question for lots of people which I was raising before. So the, the salesman or the mortgage broker or the, the bank lending manager or whomever it is uh, has a conflict of interest between trying to sell the right product to that person which is going to suit their interests and selling the product which is going to maximise the commission return to the salesman. I mean, we all have conflicts of interest in our life. I mean, I have a conflict of interest. Every professional who records their time has a conflict of interest because I could record my time honestly and say I spent that much time, but then I've got a budget to fill. And if I don't fill the budget, gee, I'm going to be in serious trouble. So I could just inflate that time a little bit, which is going to do down the client, but look after my interests. Everybody in every walk of life, mm. not just financial service, has those sort of conflicts. And so the question is, where does greed or, or the other you know, pushed temptation to do the wrong thing by someone else, mm. what do we do when that choice comes? Yeah. That's that's what I think the Bible is speaking to. It, it's speaking particularly about greed, but it could equally talk about pride or jealousy or other yes, things. Yes. What, you know, what do we do when that point of choice comes, which comes to all of us? Yeah, well, or, the, yeah, or trampling on people. Yeah. As well. Yes, yes, that's right. Well, it does say that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and mm. so there could be all sorts of different consequences. But it does say that it plunges people into ruin and destruction. So I suppose in some respects, would that be some of the stories we're now seeing that the Commission's exposing, some of, some of the ruin and destruction because of bad choices that they've made? Yeah, I think some customers have made bad choices. I certainly think some intermediaries along the way, financial advisors or mortgage brokers, have made bad choices, lenders and product manufacturers and others, uh, distribution channels and so on, have made some bad decisions. And sometimes the ruin and destruction is a consequence of those bad choices, which sometimes have been motivated by greed. Mm. I, I think I, what I'm trying to say is I don't think people in the financial services industry are any more good or rotten than anybody in any other industry, but I think what you have in, uh, in the financial services industry is a great injection of steroids in the form of money because mm. the bonuses out there and the, the dollar signs are vastly higher than in many other industries, and that just ramps up that temptation. And so I think you're more likely to see more people tipping onto that side, or at least the pressure to tip onto that side is higher, and therefore whatever cultural or regulatory or other constraints we can put in place to try to work against that need to be stronger. Now, a question just come in from our text line from our live audience here today. It says, if greed is inherent to humanity, what hope does a Royal Commission have? <laughs> That's a good question. I think the Royal Commission shows us what we're like. I mean, I don't think it's enough to say uh, bankers, they're like that, 
you know, uh, I think... Lawyers, that, they're like that. Lawyers, yeah. they're like that. News <laughs> content. Um, I, th- I think if I were working in a mortgage broker's office, I don't think that I would be any different. I would just be as much under pressure as anyone else, right? And, and so the Royal Commission has an opportunity to show us how greed is affecting uh, people's lives and perhaps that gives us an opportunity to think through the changes that need to be made. Mm. Um, anything to add? Yeah, I, th- I think it's human nature is human nature and it, it, it tends to good and it tends to bad. Well, How do we encourage it to tend to the good rather than the bad? That's that's the real question that comes out of the Royal Commission. Is it, Are there things we can do that will tend people push people in the direction of making good decisions rather than bad decisions. Mm. Well, it's interesting because in the Bible, an Old Testament book of Jeremiah actually describes the human condition. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Hugh can understand it. Now, if that's true, does that mean that any regulation is kind of pointless? It depends what you want the regulation to do. Like if you want regulation to give someone a new heart, you might be waiting a long time. But <laughs> if we know that the heart is deceitful, yeah. then then maybe um, then maybe that gives us an opportunity to regulate to curb the worst of it. Right. Mark, what do you suggest? How can, can the industry be changed or does it need new hearts, as Elizabeth has alluded to? Well, well I think fundamentally... Uh, as a, speaking as a Christian, the, the world needs new hearts. And being a Christian, I agree with what you just quoted, which is the heart is deceitful. And, yes. and we're all fundamentally, uh, it's like a shopping trolley, which is on the stuck wheels <laughs> and goes yeah. that way. Yeah. Uh, and, and ultimately, until we're reconciled with God through Jesus Christ, I don't think our shopping trolley is going to go naturally in the right direction yes however (laughs) absent that we still live in a fallen world and so we need to try and work out the best way we can live here with shopping trolleys tending to the left how do we make them go more or less straight so for you the christian message does that help you move your shopping trolley the right way so to speak how about you elizabeth is that is that one of the differences that the christian message makes to you for me, I hope that um, that this message of, um, uh, of of the idea of Jesus giving us a new heart shapes the way that I'm working because I know that this is what I'm like, right? I know that my heart is deceitful and that I would be in, in the same situation if, if my job were a bit different. Mm. Um, so something that I was really mindful of watching the commission is I thought, goodness, what if there was a royal commission into me? What would, be, what, would, what would the findings uh, be? You're going to reveal them? It would be bleak. <laughs> bleak. But is there hope? Of course, of course. And um, So what, what, what is the hope for you? If you're in, your, in the Royal Commission in your life? As a Christian, I believe that um, Jesus has paid my penalty. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if, if there were a Royal Commission, right? Um, You'd be found wanting, but... I, I would, but, but Jesus had, has already um, paid that penalty in my place. Yes, I expect there will be a Royal Commission into my life yep. and into everyone else's life <laughs> and I will have to give an account for everything that I've said and done and I will say at the end of that, notwithstanding that, please don't look at that too deeply, um, this guy over here, Jesus Christ, died for me and his sacrifice means that I have been forgiven. Yes. And so you not don't have to... You have, you not vindicated on what I did, uh, but you, forgiven. But you don't have to fear the findings of the Royal Commission into your own life. Correct. Yes. So Elizabeth and Mark... Is the banking industry rotten? It's pretty bad. (laughs) (laughs) But what an opportunity for change. I think it's no more rotten than any other industry. I think there are a lot of good people who work in the financial services industry. Um, But everyone's a mixture of good and bad. And I think uh, it's like kerosene. The money, the bonuses and so on, you tip it on there, it's like kerosene. Uh, And it just inflames the temptation to do wrong and go the wrong way. You'll never eliminate 
evil from the human heart uh, until you know Jesus comes again. Um, what we're trying to do is restrain it and direct people as much mm. as possible into acting in a good way. Mm. Well, let me leave you with the Bible's answer to the big question. Is the banking industry rotten from 1 Timothy 6, 9 to 10? Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guests today, Elizabeth Redman and Mark Snedden. Enjoy Bigger Questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash biggerquestions.